So today, what shall our agenda be? An agenda. Ooh. My agenda will be to take down the patriarchy, which is what my agenda is every day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love the patriarchy. <laughs> so handy. You would. <laughs> <laughs> it's not been too bad to you, has it? It's been all right, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to episode 112 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Farman, Ian Mayer, Peter Johnson, and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, we will each bring you our latest and greatest recommendations from the world of TV and film that have tickled our nerd taste buds recently, and we want to share our thoughts with you on those. So let's start the show. Well, it's a welcome back in person to Ian Mayer. Hello. It's been a hot minute. How are you? Okay. <laughs> I'm you fine, sure? thank you. Yeah, I'm fine, thank you for asking. It's nice. It's nice being in the same room as you humans and, you know, speaking into a microphone. It's fun. What have you been up to? Nothing. <laughs> Not one human thing. Mm. You were in Whitby the other week and I see you're now wearing sunglasses and you've asked for the curtains to be drawn in the room. Yeah, and can you take that uh, galaxy Dana kebab out of there, please? Of it's course, quite, yes, yeah. quite distracting in a horrible way. Yeah, I don't know. Vampires find the whole Whitby thing a bit blasé, really. You know, it's just tourists. They, mm. don't, they don't taste that good. <laughs> <laughs> Visit Whitby, it's really nice. So was it a particular sort of goth-infested time that you went for? It wasn't, but there's plenty of vampire-slash-goth-related tat shops in Whitby. Mm -hmm. If you want to get, you know, a, a vampire mug or something, then honestly, I can't think of a better place. What's the difference between a vampire mug and a normal mug? Um, a normal mug buys the vampire mug. <laughs> <laughs> One of them lives forever. Yeah, but that gets bored after a while. <laughs> Does that joke make sense? I don't mm, think so. No. <laughs> I mean, there's a void you can go back into if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be back there soon enough. It's fine. What have you been up to, John? Uh, we went to see Elvis Costello. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Which was a fun night. Me and Peter went, but it made us feel very young. It's safe to say we were the youngest people in the <laughs> Felt like it. room by a, by, by a margin. Well, I would say, you know, it, it made Peter feel young. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen often. Yeah, you, you, we talked to you afterwards and you said, it, yeah, it was, it was really quiet and people just didn't talk and they just listened. And, and we were like, that's the ideal gig. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I don't know. Not that they didn't talk. It's that they sat down and didn't dance and nobody. There it was, was a breakaway of about 12 people who went and danced at the front for yeah, the last three for the last three songs yeah you finally got to see a movie you've been looking forward to for oh, a long time haven't you i did yes i watched um the unbearable weight of m <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. yeah good call back there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i watched the unbearable weight of massive talent it was yeah i don't know whether they've been built up too much i enjoyed the first yeah. half much more than the second half i thought nicholas cage was great in it didn't you fall asleep in the second half? No, I... I, I, I we I, have I, photographic I, evidence yes. that you fell asleep. I fell asleep for two minutes and then woke up and rewound it, so I watched the whole thing. <laughs> but I, I wanted it to be weirder. Mm. The last half went a little bit too generic action movie with a few Nicolas Cage references thrown in, but I very much enjoyed the first half of it. And me and Nicolas Cage shared a piece of merchandise, which I was very happy about. 
the the pillow. The pillow, yes. Yeah. What, you both own Superman issue one? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And a T-Rex skull and an octopus. <laughs> I want to see the alternate version that they talked about where if they didn't get Nicolas Cage, they wanted to get Daniel Day-Lewis, but mm. playing Nicolas Cage. Like, how method would he have gone? He would have actually... He would, would have he fa- ripped he, his face he off? Have, he would have faced off, mm. yeah. The, the problem, in a way, it was, it was just a bit weak and generic sort of action comedy, a bit like the Hitman's Bodyguard sort of thing. Not oh, quite I, as bad as that, thankfully. I vehemently disagree. <laughs> I think it was a wonderful buddy comedy um, mm. at its heart, but it, it's a lot different to anything else that I've seen. I think credit must be given to the ambition behind the project and the commitment with which the two leads went for it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't Are we think still it's... talking about the unbearable way yes. of massive talent. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I yeah. don't think there's anything generic about that film. Mm. I mean, it's been the, something similar has been done before with My Name is Bruce, with Bruce yes, Campbell. which was, I enjoyed. Yeah. I thought that was good fun. Playing himself and then gets called into some supernatural shenanigans, but... They're also not too far away from Three Amigos, that sort of plot. Or what's the Star Trek parody Galaxy one? Quest. Where it's like the actors in some way get confused for what their yeah. reality so is. The shtick of massive talent is that Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage. But isn't that every Nick Cage, isn't that every Nicolas Cage film? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, pretty much. I mean, he's having a he's having a renaissance at the moment. Pig is brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's really, really good, and this has done well. So hopefully, we'll be seeing more of him. Non straight to video tax bill paying <laughs> roles. It did actually hint at that as well in the yeah. plot line, which I thought was kind of fun. <laughs> I very much enjoyed um, Young Nicolas Cage. Oh, yes. Wild yes. at Heart here, Nicolas Cage heart. makes an appearance by some slightly shoddy CGI, yes. but... Nicolas Cage needs to play Doctor Doom in full mask, <laughs> acting entirely with his eyes. I think that would be fantastic. I think and, he could do that. Marvel are cowards. The last time we got Doctor Doom on screen, it was the guy from Nip Tuck. It was, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. no, it was the Josh Trank one. I never watched that. It's terrible. Oh, <laughs> my God, that is an unwatchable <laughs> film. Mm-hmm. We've had many Doctor Dooms, but none yeah. of them have been full Doom. And I think Nicolas Cage could give full doom. And I just want the director, whoever it is, to go more, 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 <laughs> more, more, hold it, action, and get the full Cage experience through his eyes. <laughs> it was a shame as well that I thought like a lot of the best gags were in the trailer. Mm. Okay, in the bit where they're trying to climb over the wall yeah. on LSD, the reveal of that was in the trailer. The terrible mm. uh, Max model was in the trailer. It sounds great. <laughs> wow. I am quite disheartened because lots of the moments, which I won't mention, but they were like proper Nick Cage fan moments. Yeah. And Andy and I looked at each other saying, John is going to lose his shit over this. <laughs> and we were so excited for you to watch it. And so it's a little bit like disheartening kind of hearing that it didn't quite work for you, but it worked for me. It really yeah. did. One of the most fun experiences at the cinema that I've had in recent times. I think maybe a big crowd in the cinema it might have been a... Yeah. A, a, a different experience but I, I really enjoyed it I loved all the Nicolas Cage stuff but the movie around it like um, Sharon Horgan was wasted which is a shame I'll give you that yeah yeah apparently she only did it because she thought she might get some material out of it for, for writing oh, for, about Nick Cage <laughs> just, just generally about like working on a big budget shoot but they said it was during Covid so they just basically didn't leave the hotel and it was actually really dull uh-huh. yeah. bit of a shame I like that she had a natural accent and stuff yeah. like that rather than putting on American accents. That was quite good. Mm-hmm. So a Nicolas Cage film about Nicolas Cage, or well, the most hardcore Nicolas Cage fan I know, thinks it's not Nicolas Cage enough. 
Yes. Is that the summary? <laughs> That's the summary. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, this week we also got the first episode of Ms. Marvel. Oh, yeah. So quite hard to kind of go by just by one episode, but initial reactions? Really liking it. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Her interaction with her family feels I kind of true. That. Might be the first uh, instance of cricket being shown in the MCU. I can remember. <laughs> I can't say I've noticed I love that. this as a metric. <laughs> right? that's, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I love the family stuff. It really threw me back to my selfish 16-year-old self, totally consumed by what I was going through as a person and uh, being quite horrible to my parents, which I now deeply regret and would want to apologise for every day. But yeah, there's that. <laughs> That's why we have to move out, so we don't have to pull down every true. day. My mum my generally has said to me more than once, you only became nice when you moved out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, <laughs> oh, it's a really realistic, relatable storyline, which I was not expecting because I thought it might be a bit too young for me, mm-hmm. which... I don't know, we'll, we'll have to kind of see how the superpowers thing develops. But at the moment, I'm like, oh, God, I see so much of myself. It's uh, it's a bit eerie. Yeah, I remember that time you you shot a load of people with a bracelet and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was fun. That was awkward. Yeah. Thanks for covering for me. <laughs> I loved the way the, the will was depicted because it was like yeah. covered in a sketches really and colourful. drawings yeah. and things and came to life. Yeah, I got a real Enter the Spider-Verse vibe from mm. it in terms of the design and the editing and things like that. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to hate it from the trailer. I really didn't like the trailer, um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I think for the same reasons Hazel did, I really enjoyed the relationship with the family. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sold on the best friend who seems a little bit of a Peter Parker clone. Right. Yes. Yeah. Does yeah. Uh, Bruno. Bruno. Yeah. yeah. But we um, don't talk about him. Uh, <laughs> interesting that they've changed the powers from the comic book a little bit, but I'm not quite sure they would have worked in live action in your resident. I have a theory on this kind of stuff, which is... The Marvel Comics universe, which I know backwards, is very, very, very big, but you end up with a lot of kind of repeated imagery and a lot of like repeated powers. Mm. Now, Mr. Fantastic is yeah. back in the Marvel universe. His signature power is stretchiness. Yeah, that's kind of his Marvels. So I can understand like changing that just to have like a different visual signature mm-hmm. for both of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like she can still do some of that. We see her like extend a massive hand at one point to catch someone. It's like a crystalline type of... Like it's not hard like, light, right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen this yet. I've read, um, I've certainly read the first kind of like 20 comics or so created mm-hmm. by uh, a writer called G. Willow Wilson, who's a Muslim American writer who's, you know, a massive nerd and brilliant and she's great on Twitter and she's definitely put a lot of herself in this. I've had a good feeling about this, so I'm intrigued to finally get to it. Like, it looks like sort of splitting the difference between Spider-Man and Booksmart in terms of kind of what it is. Yeah. And um, for the Marvel shows to sustain and for the films to sustain, they have to find different niches. Mm -hmm. And if this is going slightly younger and slightly in that more kind of like pop teen environment, then bring it on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds... And also... It sounds like the lead actress is amazing. I mean, everyone's... This is her first role. Everyone seems to love her. When she's doing interviews, she knows the comics backwards. She's been correcting <laughs> <Yeah>. interviewers <laughs> about the different universes. And she dressed as Ms. Marvel for Halloween like three years ago. This is just, it's, wow. it's a beautiful story and I'm just glad yeah. it's working out. Yeah. Man Villani, the main uh, Iman lead Villani. actor. Yeah. The, the only thing, I almost felt disappointed when we saw her use her powers because I was that much more interested in all the other elements of it. Yeah. So I'd yeah. prefer him to not overdo that too much. Which is um, a really good sign. 
the and I think um it's been talked about before that we care the most about the MCU characters not for their superhero alter egos but for who they are as people. Mm-hmm. Like we you kind of say Tony Stark before you'd say Iron Man. I think a character lives or dies in terms of how people feel about it as the fans on how compelling they are without any of the superhero stuff without the the, the window dressing. So it's a really good sign that we've so bought into who she is as a person before we see her journey. And in three years time, when Marvel do Civil War 2, yes. and she has to face Captain Marvel on the opposite <gasps> sides of this divide, things will get interesting. <gasps> this is my prediction, which I'm throwing is, in there now. Does that happen in the comics? That happens in the comic. Captain, oh, wow. Mar- Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel have uh, an ideological difference. Do we expect Captain Marvel to turn up in this? Not heard anything. Mm, I'd be surprised if she doesn't. At least the Marvel's film that is coming out next year mm. is both of them, isn't it? It's Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel. It's called the Marvels, I think. Yeah. So presumably she may pop up to set that up, even if it's just in a, a post-credits scene. It's Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel, and Monica Rambeau, who's another version of Captain Marvel, who we saw in WandaVision. We did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd bet Captain Marvel turns up in Ms. Marvel because they're so, so linked. Oh, exciting. I'm even more excited mm. for it now. <laughs> <laughs> but do we know who the big bad is yet in it? Mm. It doesn't seem to have... Probably you might not have one. It could be more her trying to avoid being caught by the people we see just at the end of the first episode. The cleanup crew or whatever they're called. Damage. Damage control. Oh, damage control's in it. Yeah. So ah, the, the, okay, guy, the cool. guy that popped <laughs> up in um, No Way Home. Yeah. He's in the first episode. Okay. Damage control is an interesting comics entity. Like, um, basically the cleanup crew for the damage superheroes do. They've been played in a few different ways. Sometimes as kind of a comedy. I believe there was a pitch for like a sitcom version of damage control. I think it got uh, made. I think it got to pilot, yeah, uh, a couple of years ago. And there was um, the DC equivalent of that, who were like insurers for uh, superhero uh, damage. Yeah, that's, that, the one that I'm thinking, that's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, I'm getting the two mixed up. That got a full season, but wasn't great. Yeah, with all these things, you get the impression Marvel has a plan and DC has, I don't know, a dartboard. <laughs> <laughs> Black Adam looked interesting. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we use some recommendations. Yeah. Let's do that thing. All right, so these are our main recommendations. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Okay. Hey! <laughs> I'm the first. Blah, blah, blah. So I'll go first. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, right, okay. Um, so my recommendation this week is Pistol, which is the new six-part Sex Pistols biopic bio series, whatever the term is, which has popped up rather oddly on Disney Plus. Um, this might be the first time. Yeah, if we're going to guess where it would be, yeah. that is not the place, is it? I mean, they they use <laughs> in an episode title, which I think is the first for anything on <laughs> oh, Disney Plus. Really? Yeah, and it's very very sweary. Does uh, it, it appear in asterisk form? No, he, really. No. To soften it, it's voiced by Minnie Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mickey. <laughs> yeah. <my. laughs> You can see Peter's shaking his head going, the, the bleak machine is, <laughs> is, is, is coming out. Um, so, yeah, so this is based on the Steve Jones biography that was ghostwritten and came out a couple of years ago. It's directed by Danny Boyle and it's written by Craig Pierce, who has also written the Elvis biopic. 
That's out in oh, a few months. The Baz Luhrmann one. Ooh. And we basically start in Seven Seas London with Steve Jones, who is a homeless ragamuffin who is trying to start a band. He falls in with Mark McLaren and Vivian Westwood, who famously had mm. the, the sex boutique at the time in London. Just to clarify, that was a boutique called sex, a boutique not called a sex, sex shop. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we, we get the Sex Pistols story, which has been told a lot of times before. For, you know, for a band that only lasted a year and only really made one album, if you don't count the Great Rock and Roll Swindle, it's, you know, we've had Sin and Nancy, the Gary Oldman film directed by Alex Cox, which was great, but perhaps overly romanticised Zid Vicious. I don't know, do we, do we have spoilers for the life of Sid Vicious? No. No, you're fine. <laughs> who was a, a pretty unpleasant guy who yeah. probably murdered his girlfriend. There's the Phil from the Fury, which is the documentary Julian Temple made, which is brilliant and interviews pretty much everybody who was still around at the time. And the weirdest thing we had was the Great Rock and Roll Swindle, the Malcolm McLaren film, mm-hmm. which was made basically around the time the Sex Pistols were falling apart. And it was Malcolm McLaren who was the manager of the Sex Pistols trying to take over the legend somehow. Mythologise mytho- himself. Mythologise well. himself at the expense of the band. And then there's loads of books and God knows what else. What this does is very much try and tell it from the story of Steve Jones, who was the guitarist in the Sex Pistols. But the problem is that he's one of the least interesting characters in it. Yeah. You know, if you said name a Sex Pistol, you would say Johnny Rotten or Sid Vicious. I don't think there's many people who would be jumping up and saying, you know, Steve Jones or Paul Cook. And because it's told from his perspective, you kind of don't get that much of a look into the other characters. But as a piece of London history, it's fascinating and it's amazingly well done. It's shot in 4-3, so it's period style. Mm. And there is a lot of very fast intercutting. Um, Danny Boyle directed it, obviously, who did Trainspotting. And there's kind of that level of energy to a lot of it. You get a mix of documentary footage intercut with the dramatised stuff. Even when they're on the American tour, you get an in- intercuts of the actor's who play the Sex Pistols in a cut with footage of the real Sex Pistols doing the same gigs, which you would think would be distracting, but because it's done so quickly and so well, it kind of gives a real good sense of what it was really like whilst not taking out the narrative. Is there phlegm involved? There is some phlegming, yes. <laughs> be in- mm-hmm. interesting to navigate during COVID. Yes. <laughs> That's probably why there's no, no, no reunion tour. And. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would be more interested, perhaps, in the opinion of somebody who doesn't know the story inside out. Although it's six hours long, there's still a little bit of greatest hits and flicking around, and you know it hits all the moments. So the the TV interview where they swear on primetime TV, Grundy. Bill Grundy, uh, the uh, boats on the Thames when they do um, "God Save the Queen" at mm. the Silver Jubilee. So it's it's very good timing. <laughs> Sid Vicious doesn't appear to about two-thirds of the way through, and the actor that plays Sid Vicious is a little bit too clean-cut and mm. nice, and you don't really get that viciousness, for want of a better word, that, that he <laughs> yeah. had. There's an episode about Sid and Nancy, called Nancy and Sid, presumably to avoid yeah. <laughs> yeah. confusion with the film, but it really skips over the end of Sid Vicious's story mm. um, in a way that I was surprised about. There's an attempt, actually, which is interesting, to try and tell it from the female character's point of view. So we have Vivian Westwood, played by Tallulah Riley, mm-hmm. who is great in it and is kind of the voice of reason and almost kind of the mother figure to all these people. But Chrissy Hind is a major figure who people will probably know as a pretender singer. 
but she was around working in um, the boutique before The Pretenders and had a relationship with uh, Steve Jones, who, again, based on Steve Jones's book, Steve Jones seems to be irresistible to women in this, <laughs> in this series, like Chrissy Hines falls into his arms yeah. repeatedly despite what he does. Is there a bit of an unreliable narrator yeah. effect? They've taken other sources in there, but Steve Jones is still very much your window into the world. Maybe it's the actor or maybe it's the script, but he just doesn't seem to have the sort of necessary charm and charisma to quite pull off what he mm. seems to be doing in the yeah. plot line. First episode is the only one I've seen so far, mm-hmm. but that was definitely a problem there. What I've really enjoyed is um, Thomas Brodie's Sangster. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a child, but... He does, yes. He's, he's the same age as Malcolm McLaren was at the time. He does a great Malcolm McLaren in that. Uh, so that is the same actor who played the kid in Love Actually, Liam Neeson's uh, stepson, I believe. Mm, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Game of Thrones he's in as well, isn't he? Yes, and Queen's Gambit. I don't know, he's he's a little bit like Macaulay Culkin and the kid from Forrest Gump in that they've still got their childlike features, mm-hmm. but they're yeah. grown-ups now. <laughs> you get that with almost every child actor, yeah. and I don't know yeah. why it is. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I still think Leonardo DiCaprio is about 16. I, can't, I just can't. No, that's, that's his girlfriend. That's his girlfriend. Oh, oh, yeah. oh two oh, seconds. Oh, oh, two oh, seconds behind <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, but I watched The Great Rock and Roll Swindle afterwards, and the Malcolm McLaren impression is uncanny. Mm-hmm. Same with Anson Boone, who looks nothing like John Lydon, but really has the energy and the persona and um, the, the, vo- the voice in the songs as well. The actors who are in the band all learnt the instruments. In fairness, they didn't, didn't learn that much. Yeah, they didn't have to, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sid Vicious had the easiest job there. Yeah. They were played live, so when you see them playing in clubs and stuff, it's actually uh, them playing live as it's recorded. Nice. And that works really well. But I, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't learn anything. But it, I, I mean, if you watch the same story four or five times, yeah. you've got to expect that. But I think for somebody as a, a casual viewer coming to the tale for the first or second time, I think they, they would have a very good time and they would enjoy it. It's, hmm. it's got a really good energy throughout. The acting is all great. Just very enjoyable. Yeah. So uh, how many gobs out of 10? <laughs> <laughs> Give it seven out of 10. Have you ever got the feeling you've been cheated? I had hired at the end. I thought there was another episode to go. <laughs> there wasn't. They should do, I wanted episode seven where they do that awful reunion in the 90s, then John Lydon advertises butter and starts supporting Trump. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he tried to sue to stop the series being made. He brought a claim to stop the use of the music. Did he write the music? He wrote the lyrics to the music and he said that there was an agreement between the pistols that they would all have to agree for music to be used uh, so Abram could veto it and he didn't want this series made. When you hear something like that, it's like the Sex Pistols got together, you know, there was an, an agenda and they went through their media rights and, you know, like, <laughs> really discussed things sensibly. I'm sure that's how, you know, perhaps had a cup of tea and a biscuit and just... I mean, they're all, you know, they must be all pushing 70 now, I would imagine. Quite depressing. I know uh, Steve Jones has been doing the interview rounds, uh, real, real Steve Jones. Mm. Doesn't look very much like actor Steve Jones. Who's next? Go on, Ian. I've recently watched uh, season two of The Flight Attendant. Uh, has anyone watched The Flight Attendant? Uh, yes. yes, season one. No. Cool. Yes. It's really, really good. So uh, The Flight Attendant is a TV show. It's on uh, Sky and Now TV in the UK. There's two seasons of it. They're both eight episodes and like they're very, very watchable. It's based on a novel by a guy called Chris Bojalian and... It's really kind of an old school pulpy thriller. It's like very deliberately kind of Hitchcocky in a wrong man kind of way. Someone getting tied up in a situation well outside the comfort zone. 
very twisty, lots of complications, lots of cliffhangers. In this case, the wrong person's uh, Cassie Bowden. Now, she's a flight attendant who parties way too hard and lives an extremely messy life. Now, it's difficult talking about a thriller without talking about spoilers, so I'm, I'm going to try and keep it a little bit vague because it's better coming to a little bit cold. So in series one, um, you meet Cassie and like understand like the world she's in. So Cassie's a flight attendant and she's on a layover in Bangkok when she gets very, very drunk, goes to bed with a passenger and wakes up next to their dead body. Now, this is in the trailer, so you know this bit, but like she decides the best thing to do is not tell the police and return to her regular life and job back in New York. And then things spin out of control from there. So like the FBI get involved, there's professional assassins, spies, all that jazz. Uh, Cassie's got a best friend, Annie, who's a lawyer who works for like a very unethical company and knows some pretty dark stuff, which comes in handy in multiple ways. There's other flight attendants, Megan and Shane, who have got their own secrets. Everyone's got their own stuff going on. There's lots of plates spinning. And it's kind of written and filmed something close to a dark comedy tonally. Like I'd describe it as kind of a, a hybrid of killing even only murders in the building it's kind of it's fast it's twisty it's funny it's dark but it's designed to be kind of entertaining first now one of the big conceits of the show is that cassie frequently hallucinates being back in the hotel room with the dead guy who starts talking to her kind of like sherlock holmes's mind palace kind of she can sort of disappear into her own head and and learn things and try and work out what's happening now what you learn early on is that cassie's a massive alcoholic and the structure of the show is both her solving like the mystery of what's happened, but also reliving and revealing events of her own life that's made her who, kind of who she is. Now, I've spent a bit of time explaining season one because season two is the same show, <laughs> but more so. And it's really good. So it, it starts with Cassie having moved back to L.A. She's been in AA for a year, uh, is addicted to sugar and replacement for alcohol, and she's got her life sorted out. She's got a nice boyfriend, there's vegetables in her fridge, that kind of thing. Now, on another work trip, she witnesses another murder and starts to hallucinate again. What's the odd? Oh, yeah. Well, there is a reason for that, but I'm, I'm kind of leaving mm. it out. I mean, but we've the... all woken up next to one dead body, but <laughs> two is yeah. just careless. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't wake up next to this one. She just witnesses it happening. But in this time when she's hallucinating, she's kind of experiencing different versions of herself, like different aspects of her own personality mm. and interacting with them. If season one was introducing you to the characters in the world, this one doubles down on everything in the works. It makes it bigger. The hallucinations are more. The stakes are bigger. Cassie's played by Kaylee uh, Cuoco. Now, we had to Google that pronunciation, but <laughs> she was a penny in the Big Bang Theory. Uh, when the Big Bang Theory ended uh, after 12 years, apparently Cuoco was one of the richest women in television. Yeah. And off the yes. back of that, she started a production company called Yes Norman Productions, which produced mm -hmm. this. And also the Harley Quinn cartoon. Yeah, which she's, she's the voice of Harley she's Quinn. Great. Yeah, Absolutely. And her sister's Barbara Gordon in it as well. And they're already doing a bunch of TV and films. There's a Doris Day biopic going on. I mentioned this because like Casey's a really committed sort of actress and filmmaker, which perhaps the Big Bang Theory wouldn't have prepared you for. And she's like, she's great in this. She's likable. She's believable. She's really kind of messy. Mm. And she gets to play multiple versions of the same personality. You know, a whole mind palace full of people she hates. And apparently they consult with the team behind Orphan Black on these scenes to like film them in the same way. Mm. And they're really nicely done. Yeah, In, in different hands, that role um, could be just purely unlikable. But she manages to, I don't know, let the audience into her soul and uh, get you on her side, even though she makes some really bad decisions. Uh, she's produced this. Yeah. She's gone, right, I want to play someone who could be horrible. And she's, she pulls off this kind of likable air to it. Now, Cassie's best friend, uh, like Annie the lawyer. Real life best friend. Real life best yeah. friend. Yeah, played by uh, Zosia Mamet, who you will have seen in Girls and Mad Men. And she's great in this, smart, capable and kind of messed up in her own way. 
Now, season two really ups the time with these two characters spend together. They bounce off each other a lot more. And uh, the, this season was shot over seven months in three different countries. And they actually lived together for a lot of that time. Mm-hmm. And the chemistry really shines. It's just, it's just a pleasure to watch. So Rosie Perez is in it as a fellow flight attendant, uh, Megan. She gets a lot to do in this. Uh, I've loved her since White Men Can't Jump. And it's good to see her like get a bit of meat to do. She really has kind of a lot to do here. Uh, another attendant, Shane, is played by a guy called Griffin Matthews. He's, he's going to be in She-Hulk, probably as Frogman. We're not sure, but like it's, uh, he's an interesting actor. Again, the, the depth of the cast in this in kind of minor roles is really impressive. Cassie has a messed up life and they really play with the idea she's got a messed up life and how she got to be who she is. In the first season, it does, you do see flashbacks of her with a, as, as a kid and her relationship with her father. Here you see relationship with her mother and it's Sharon fucking Stone in one of the best <laughs> things I have ever seen her do. Me and my wife actually went, <gasps> just <at> the <laughs> awesome acting and writing on display. It was great. Now, I really like this. My wife really liked this. If there's one criticism of it, you can perhaps say it's a bit much. It's constantly directing you and misdirecting you around the mystery. Your curiosity and suspicion kind of moves around but then you start expecting the twist. If you watch these in quick mm. succession, it's perhaps a bit strong. It could have done with a bit more place to breathe. Cassie constantly makes bad decisions. You could end up shouting at the screen <laughs> at some of the decisions she makes. And also, she's constantly got her fringe in her eyes and Alison was begging her to tie <laughs> her hair back at one point. But it's great. I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's kind of really sharply produced, pulpy fun, uh, thrillerish content about about a messed up person and mm. i i thoroughly enjoyed it i've only seen the first episode of the second season and it did seem they were portraying her as getting her life together much more so the structure of each is there's a mystery and it's also a dissection of her so the first season explores some of what made her an alcoholic and this season explores some of the damage of that and so when she's interacting with people in her own mind it's aspects of herself she doesn't like and has to kind of come to grips with it's funny you mentioned like Miss Marvel's relationship with her parents. Uh, Cassie here was a horrible teenager because she was an alcoholic and she has to deal with the damage of that and the relationship with people who are still there, a brother, a mother. And it doesn't shy away from that, but also it's just, you know, it's kind of sharp and fun. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it really worked for me. Yeah. Hmm. So how many carelessly discovered corpses out of 10 man i always score high and i think i have to score high here so i'm gonna give it uh eight aspects of a fractured personality in a murder room in my head out of 10 (laughs) (laughs) nice eight fringes in your face (laughs) i'm screaming at the screen (laughs) clip your hair back (laughs) peter is poised what have you got i've got a series called night sky which is a new sci-fi TV show on Amazon Prime. It stars J.K. Simmons and Sissy Spacek as Franklin and Irene York, an elderly couple living in a sleepy area of New York State who years ago discovered a chamber under their garden shed containing what appears to be a portal to a strange deserted planet. We watch as they go about their lives regularly visiting this other world to view the alien landscape from a sealed viewing pod. There's an airlock that leads outside but they're too scared to try it, as they've never seen any sign of life. But one day they go for a visit to find a young man in there, covered in blood. Irene welcomes him like a long-lost son, but Franklin's suspicious of his motives as he claims to have lost his memory. 
What really makes this series is the performance of J.K. Simmons and Sissy Spacek. He's always great in everything he's in, and they're both the absolute heart of this show, to the extent that whenever they're not on screen, you really miss it. They're kind of an adorable couple. They're not perfect, but you really get the sense of how a couple can kind of share their lives together. The show does also cover their suspicious neighbour or their concerned daughter visiting them from out of town. And really, you do kind of wish they would just stay with these two. It does spin the story out quite slowly. I don't mind a long journey, but you, you have to trust the puzzle be worth it in the end. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen all the way through it yet. So, you know, I don't know for sure whether it's going to get there in time. So blame mm-hmm. Peter. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I'm six episodes in and I still don't know why they got that visitor through the portal. Oh. How, or many, what the how, portal how many episodes are there? About eight, I think. Lazy Peter couldn't be asked watching the last two episodes I before. Got there the... yet. <laughs> Honestly, how long are the episodes? About an hour. Two hours, Peter. <laughs> Jesus. I'm I don't pacing. know why, why do you bother? Oh. I'm pacing myself. <laughs> Sounds like the show's pacing itself. <laughs> it is pacing itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you can find it in the UK and in the US on Amazon Prime Video. It's sweet, it's charming, and that's really what you'd watch it for is those two. If you enjoy his performances mm-hmm. yeah. in things, and I've liked him in almost everything I've seen him in, I think, then it's worth watching. Yeah. So is it sci-fi, sci-fi, or is it more relationship drama with a sci-fi tinge to it? No, it's still sci-fi in that that does underpin everything. It's not Mm -hmm. just they go about their normal lives entirely and this is just an irrelevant thing to try and keep you interested. The plot is about this new person in their lives and where he came from and Mm -hmm. why is he there and can he be trusted? Uh, They kind of take him on as a carer in the house to do things they can't manage so easily anymore. And is that a good idea? You, we don't really know yet. So you find a blood-covered man in your basement and you say, this is a somebody I want to look after me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> so when the guy was covered in blood, this is basic, go, oh, that happened to me at a prom once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sadly, no, I wish no. you had. That would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sissy Spacek is a name I haven't heard in a while. Mm. Um, I don't know whether it's the Hollywood ageism with women mm. over the age of 35. Mm. Like, no, uh, you're not allowed to appear in my film. Thank you very much. But um, it's great to see her back. And it sounds like it's a, a welcome return. Quite often actors do seem to come back sort of late in their career, more as mm. character actors. And if they're good actors, that's when you can really tell the difference and see why they made it in the first place. Didn't she audition for Princess Leia because they were doing the auditions for Star Wars and Carrie at the same time? Maybe they got confused when someone said Carrie's got the role. <laughs> yeah, there was just a like a, a line of women in white dresses. They had to do like, uh, help us everyone, you may only hope then have a bucket of blood. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy, is he from Earth? We start seeing little elements of what the other ends of portals might show, but it's hard to relate that to what their portals shows. But is he comfortable around a human normal house? Like he, he knows what a he acts is. like a normal human. Yeah, yeah. you know he, he can work, he can work the bleak. microwave. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. Has everyone seen what's probably J.K. Simmons' Tour de Force, which is probably Whiplash? I haven't. No, I haven't. But Andy has said it's one of his favourite films. <laughs> so my dad and a few years ago decided he wanted to get into movies, and he doesn't have streaming services, and he doesn't have a Blu-ray player, but he does have a DVD player. So I like buy cheap DVDs and I send them to him. 
and one of them was Whiplash. And I asked him, how, how did you find Whiplash, Dad? And his response was, just wanted to punch that bloke, uh, referring to J.K. Simmons. So in, in that way, a very effective performance. I mean, if you want to send a DVD to your dad. Oh, Not no. There's a sack. <laughs> I like my dad. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I remember seeing J.K. Simmons, uh, the first time I saw J.K. Simmons, which is in the HBO TV show Oz. Yeah. which was one of their first sort of premium drama TV shows. The first kind of hour that proved the kind of premium drama mm. uh, model. Oz was uh, set in a fictional prison, Oswald State Penitentiary, and they had a kind of special unit they called MSIT, like Emerald, Emerald City, funnily enough, um, where they basically put the leaders of all the different factions in the prison. What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. And he was Schillinger, the leader of the white supremacists, mm. and utterly utterly terrifying like an amazingly convincing and horrible horrible man then a few years later he's juno's dad in the film juno and i was like nah I, I'm, <laughs> you better watch it yeah but a great act and also spider-man's boss which is <laughs> yeah. the perfect look for in those yeah. early rearmy films absolutely i loved oz but i'm not sure i ever want to see it again because it was grim Never really been repeated that much in the ways Sopranos has. A bunch of actors I saw for the first time in that, like uh, Edie Falco, uh, Chris Maloney, guys mm. who were great who just turn up in things, you know, like kind of turn up in things. But yeah, J.K. Simmons, terrifying. Over there somewhere, I have Oz on DVD if you want to send it to your dad. Uh, we're good, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to preemptively thank you for all your recommendations and that's enough now. <laughs> <laughs> How many bloody strangers in a portal <laughs> found in your house would you give this out of 10? Uh, I think seven and a half for now. Well, I, I Half will... a bloody stranger? Oh my God. <laughs> That's why it got bloody. <laughs> so will you come back in two weeks' time and, and apologise to the nation? <laughs> Very possibly. We'll see. <laughs> Season three of The Flight Attendant will have Kaylee finding a bloody stranger in her portal and having to explain it. I would imagine. <laughs> Do you want to rephrase that? No. <laughs> you know when something sounds wrong when it comes out? Or goes in. Or goes in. <laughs> uh, Hazel, what yes. have you got for us? Okay, so I have one main recommendation and I have two speedy recommendations because I've been off for a bit with COVID and that. And, uh, so, yeah, forgive me for taking three for one, but uh, I know I'm going to try and do the first two in like 60 seconds each, unless you ask me questions. Has anyone got the countdown? Okay, so the first one is Top Gun Maverick. This is uh, a like a 30 year return for um, Tom Cruise. Uh, action scenes are absolutely phenomenal, 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 phenomenal. Good. Um, <laughs> is that Sorry, song? absolutely, absolutely what? <laughs> the action scenes are incredible. Uh, so all credit to the film for that. But the film has a lot more heart than I think maybe people might have been expecting. I did like the original Top Gun at the time, uh, but having watched it like a few days before Maverick, it has not aged well. Mm. Um, so this one corrects quite a lot of that. There is no creepy perusal of the main female lead into the bathroom this time. Um, things like that. And the supporting cast are really, really worth a watch too. Generally welled up at certain moments in the cinema and it's just what cinema was made for. That was my return to cinema from COVID. So two and a half mm. years without going to the cinema seeing film on a big screen in a not particularly crowded theater but like definitely with people there 
oh my god how I've, how i have missed that oh. i didn't realize how much i've missed that and the fact i haven't seen like let's say june on a big screen mm. something that is pure cinema with a, a soundtrack that kind of like you can feel reverberating in your chest i just felt you know i've missed out but oh it was so good to be back yeah. and seeing real actors in real planes being thrown around the GeForce right? yeah. is quite captivating yeah. you know what i mean you can't help but react you hold your breath you know what i mean when people be moved around uh, number two is the Time Traveller's Wife TV series on Sky. Now, I'm really, I'm going to bat for this one because no one else is, <laughs> essentially. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the book upon which it's based. I've read it at least three times. The Rachel McAdams and Eric Banner movie was a crime against cinema. It was horrendous. But this new series allows you to get to know the characters uh, who are Henry, who is the time traveller, who has no choice in the matter. He just travels through time. And uh, Claire, who is Henry's wife, and we learn about what she goes through, which is worrying about where um, Henry is because he's quite often in danger. I really like both portrayals in this. I like one of the actors a lot more than I do the other one. I'm guessing you like Rose <laughs> Leslie. You're not so keen on him. The other way around. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, the other way around. But from a source material perspective, you can tell that the writers really care about it. The highlight for me is in the second episode where you learn about the death of a person who is close to Henry and how he has dealt with that over the years, but also how he introduces that character to Claire. It was just perfectly done. Um, so, yeah, there's lots to like about this. It's not perfect, but um, if you haven't given it a go because you're worried about the reviews or you're worried about it tainting the book experience... I really would give it a go and I hope you like it as much as I do. I've seen the first episode, but mm -hmm. I haven't read the book mm -hmm. and I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was quite fun. Uh, it's written by Stephen Moffat and you can see how he's used elements of the book in several of his Doctor Who scripts, like The Girl in the Fireplace and maybe to some extent the uh, episode that introduces Karen Gillan's character as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a thing that he's borrowed from thematically a few times already. But yeah, I enjoyed it. And certainly I liked the intellectual puzzle of how things would work for you if mm -hmm. you saw little elements of someone else's life, but out of order. Yeah. And how that would feel for both people. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it so yeah, far. Keep going with it. Yeah, definitely. I've not read the book, but I'm aware of it. And I've kind of half watched the film. There's some elements that might not have dated well. Involved. Yeah. How is that dealt with? Um... It's dealt with as, as well as it could be. Mm -hmm. um, There's even a joke about it, actually, yeah. because she talks about stroking the hair of her yeah. the, the horse and that that's yeah. grooming the and horse. She's just, just grooming him. <laughs> and uh, and there's go, a little Ooh. like Henry's like, OK, moving on. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's another bit later on, which is troubling. But yeah, it's dealt with as well as it as as it, yeah. it, it could have been it's interesting that they've kept it in there and it is if you're looking at as a logical construct it is potentially something that would happen and it's quite you yeah. know so it makes sense in the narrative of the yeah. book. they said in the first episode that he'd yeah. been careful not to do anything inappropriate until he didn't anyway yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and also the child's a robot so it's okay yeah, yeah. the thing yeah he has two week callback <laughs> He has no he has no choice about when he time travels or where he time travels to. The only consistency um, no choice is that he time travels back to moments that were really important to him or emotionally charged 
And I guess wanting to get him to know his wife uh, from when she was a little girl is a part of that narrative as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, don't listen to the reviews. Give it a go and then make up your mind. It's a shame that it's getting such a bashing because it probably means there's no second series. Mm. Can, I, can I ask a super nerdy question? Yes. What kind of time travel is it? Like, because time, right. time travel shows, films, books use different conceits. Yeah. And I don't know what this one does. So, so he basically has a genetic difference within him as a human being. He, he uses no transportation. Um, it is, he, he has to leave behind everything that he is doing and everything that he's wearing at the time. And he goes to wherever he goes, but he has no choice in the matter of where, where he goes. He can be dropped in the middle of a train track. Um, so he's experiencing things in a sequence. But that sequence hops around his wife's timeline. Are you wondering whether her timeline changes when he pops back into I mean, it? Yeah. Or a whether little, it's like bit, it's been predetermined like, from the beginning so, of time? That is a central question. Is it? Yeah. Right. Cool. Because time <laughs> travel's awesome. <laughs> and it's yeah. one of my it's one mm. of my favorite things. Yeah. So, they yeah. they spend a lot of time talking about how things happen in his life, how things happen in the lives of the people around him and how do these actions affect that? And are they from similar periods in history? As in, could could he look into the history books and find things out and let her know? Yeah, he doesn't travel back like centuries. He tends to travel back within his own lifetime. Ooh, so we could give a lottery tickets and <laughs> smile that, at that. That, that is exactly how they fund their lifestyle. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was not my main recommendation. No, no, but I, 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 I really needed to know. So thank you. Yes, uh, I, I, th- I, again, I think you, I think you will like this, and I think Alison will as well. So my main recommendation is a new TV series on Netflix, and it is called The Lincoln Lawyer. It stars Manuel Garcia Rolfo as the titular Lincoln Lawyer, um, whose real name is Mickey Holler, and he is called the Lincoln Lawyer because he conducts a lot of his business as a defense lawyer on the back of his Lincoln town car and a lot of the scenes take place where he's driving across Los Angeles uh, meeting clients or on his way to court. It's an adaptation of a Michael Connolly novel called The Brass Verdict. Uh, there is a 2011-2012 film called The Lincoln Lawyer starring Matthew McConaughey. I tried to watch the film after I'd finished. Uh, I turned it off within 15 minutes <laughs> and I said that's not my Lincoln lawyer. <laughs> um, and why I did that is because I really grew to love Manuel Garcia Rolfo's portrayal just, just so much. He's, he's, he's a confident person, can be arrogant, but it's often justified in a way because he's, he's very clever. He's very observant. He's got a very sensitive side as well, uh, which is shown not just in his relationships with his two ex-wives and his daughter, but also how he approaches his cases as well. And that is not what I saw in the Matthew McConaughey version. He was basically just a crook. So I'll tell you a little bit about what happened in the first episode, just to set the story arc up a little bit. Uh, A judge calls Mickey Holler into her chambers and tells him that a fellow defence lawyer has just been murdered. And a few weeks before he died, he signed his entire practice and clientele over to Mickey in the event of his untimely death. 
Now, Mickey has been, uh, when we meet him, he's been out of practice quite literally for about a year. Uh, a year ago, he'd gotten into a car crash and then became addicted to opioids, uh, which he took to manage the pain. He's been clean for a few months. So that is a situation that he finds himself in when he's being handed this entire law practice. And that also includes a very, very high profile client who is charged with his wife's and her boyfriend's murder. The series is 10 episodes long. So over the course of that, we learn about the twists and turns of this particular case and the trial of that. We also get to know his first ex-wife and mother of his teenage daughter. Uh, she's called Maggie and she's played by Nev Campbell. And she's a, an assistant district attorney, so like the opposite side to, uh, to Mickey in many cases. Now, Nave Campbell, I think, has always been brilliant. This character is amazing as well. And I honestly do not know why she's not getting paid what she wants for the Scream franchise. The news came out this week about her turning down the next Scream film because she wasn't offered what she feels like she uh, deserves and should be valued for so she said I'm not going to be doing it which is I think is amazing and it's, she's well within her rights to do that. Mm -hmm. David Arquette said I'll do it for a Mars bar. Yeah <laughs> um, I, I think she's such an underrated actor and she's so brilliant in the series. I haven't seen her in anything other than the Scream series and Wild Things. Yeah, yeah. that's the only other one I can think of yeah. as well. Oh The Craft was Sheen as well. The witch, yes. she thing, yeah. yeah. But certainly in a long time, I've not seen anything in a long time. It's yeah. a shame because she's, she's great in everything, yeah. And we also spend a lot of time with Mickey's inner circle who help him um, with his law firm, getting it up and running again and getting acquainted with his new, new clients. So they are his second ex-wife, Lorna. Again, she's still in his, in his life, played by Becky Newton. And Cisco, played by Angus Sampson, who is uh, Mickey Holler's main investigator. He has a pretty murky past. Cisco and Lorna are together as a couple, which makes it interesting. One of the best relationships is the one that Mickey has with his driver, Izzy, played by Jazz Recoil. She is also a former addict and they have a lot of deep conversations in the car about um, addiction and recovery and how challenging it, it, it really is. Now, I watched all 10 episodes probably within a few days of each other, um, the last five of them like back to back. And it's been really rare for me to find a, a TV show that will inspire me to do that in, in recent years. Yeah, just really well performed so horrified by Matthew McConaughey's portrayal it, it's um it's such a brilliant central performance it's a character with a huge amount of depth a sharp script um the show which I forgot to mention is uh it's created by David E Kelly which is like your go-to oh, yeah. person for a, a, a for a courtroom scene and he's done a really really great job here as well so yeah hmm. so is this an is this going to be an ongoing series or is it a, a one and done or do we not know yet I I haven't heard anything about a second series. Mm. I know that it's been doing really well mm -hmm. and has been uh, reviewed really well. So I hope so. There was murmurings of things that they could address in the next series. It's, yeah. it's not like all the ends have been wrapped up in this first series. So I hope mm. so. And is the mm. character in other books? I don't know. Do you need a more likable character across a 10 episode TV show than you might put up with for a two hour movie? I'd say no. 
Tony Soprano's a horrible, horrible character. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a succession. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need interesting characters. Yeah. I think you need likable actors playing terrible people. Yeah. And I think yeah. that is yeah. the, the magic formula that, uh, that <laughs> yeah. gets you. Or maybe, you know, horrible actors playing likable people. I think that also works. I do know a few people who won't watch a series. Like something like Succession, they just won't watch because they know they don't want to watch a series with people that they hate. Yeah, and I won't watch The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> you know, it's fine. Like, whatever, whatever yeah. I listen to a lot of writing podcasts. Sorry, I do. Um, but I've been listening to a lot recently that have gone over a similar theory that there's some series you often watch and it's more just to sort of spend time with the people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure whether that's to do with the character or with the actors. Um, but no, I'm... I'm a fan of good characters. I don't mean like good as in moral. I mean, just as in good Mm. as in kind of deep or flawed or that's it. There's no formula that says you need someone who's likable as your lead. I'm I'm sure of that. So the the show, The the Lincoln Light, what's it like tonally? Because from what you've described, it could be almost mayor of East Town-ish in a kind of darkness or it could be lighter or it could be, what's your, where would you picture it? Yeah, it's it's definitely not grim. It's not funny it's not a comedy it's i think it 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 kind of drives down the middle of the road if you forgive the sort of the driving pun (laughs) there's a lot of depth to it it deals with some difficult issues but if you're looking for a real darkness and real grimness this is not the show that you're Mm. looking for is it darker than something like Ali McBeal, obviously, with the David yeah. Kelly? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's no dancing baby in this one. Uh, Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. I haven't seen that dancing baby for years. You'd think another role would have come up <laughs> yeah. by now. It's not since What was the one with um, Jane Spade and Captain Kirk? Boston Legal. Yeah, was that David Kelly? I think it was. Yes, I yeah. think so, yeah. I love that series. I thought that was really mm. good. I want to go back and revisit that at some point. I love courtroom dramas in general, which is why I'm so excited about She-Hulk. Uh, it's like one of the biggest yeah. reasons. And also Tatiana Maslany. Yes. She'll yeah. be great as well. Yeah, absolutely. So how many ex-wives out that you're still <laughs> inexplicably in touch with out of 10 would you give the Lincoln lawyer? It's going to have to be a nine. Ooh, Ooh, that's nine a lot of ex-wives. ex-wives. That is more than Henry VIII. That's almost Elizabeth Taylor levels. Yeah. Though she does have a few duplicates. She does, yeah. He's got them on his phone. Uh, it it kind of comes up in, in his car. As ex-wife number one and ex-wife number two. <laughs> I have a friend. Good to have a system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I have a friend who's, uh, he, he does a lot of online dating. And if you go through his phone book, it says like Tinder Sharon, Tinder Helen, Tinder Amy, Tinder. <laughs> That's a recipe for disaster though, because if they're all very close to each other in the address book, yeah. he could very easily text the wrong Sharon. Or... <laughs> could be, yeah. I think when you get to Tinder Shallon 1 and Tinder Shallon 2, <laughs> yeah. you've, you've got a problem. You've done Tinder. Yeah. You've completed <laughs> Tinder. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> Tinder in a small town. Imagine. <laughs> it just sounds horrible. It is, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to name him, but. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not recorded. <laughs> And that is it for today's episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until uh, then, you can give us a like and a uh, poke. Is a poke still a thing on social media? Is that? Yeah. You used to get poked on Facebook, didn't you? I did. (laughs) 
Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if you play your cards until, right. until I took out the injunction. <laughs> um, so we are at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. We tend to talk about news and things that amuse us greatly in the nerd landscape that week. Uh, you can also leave us a review. Now, in the past, we've not given you a lot of incentive uh, to do this, other than obviously the great episodes, because uh, John's rewards are often more sinister than perhaps they <laughs> they should be, um, considering that we're asking you to do something very nice for us. So this week, John, you have a genuinely wonderful and lovely reward for our listeners. Isn't, isn't that right? If you like us, I will completely remake your image. I'm going to put you with some other miscreants and form a punk band. I'm going to give you a taste of instant fame and then take you to America and destroy your band and pretend that was my cunning plan. And all along. <laughs> Delightful. Lovely. Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who is not going on any plane with someone who looks like the girl from the Big Bangers flight attendant in case he wakes <laughs> up dead. <laughs> a man who's going inside his mind to argue with versions of himself about time travel. A man who's looking for a portal off this podcast. Where um, I will tell you when I've seen episode 8 <laughs> <laughs> Sunderland <laughs> and a woman who I think we can officially say is a bigger Nicolas Cage fan than Mr John Farthing Ooh. Ooh, you know what that means what's that oh. it's Monday time oh fuck <laughs> 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 I did not think that through <laughs> we'll see you next time bye bye bye, bye. <laughs>